0: Hi everyone, welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media production and our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today it's Saturday, so there's no there's no nothing other than Q&A. And we'll do a Q&A as long as you're asking questions. So, um so we uh, it's a little bit more relaxed on Saturday, but we are testing some things. Uh, so we are playing with the one pipe, the 4K pipe and the HDR pipe and so you may notice that the color while we play with it might change for us as we're kind of going through it um, and as we as we kind of play with this idea we're getting ready by the end of the year we plan to um, switch over to this pipeline for all the shows but um, we're gonna play with it live for a little while before we do that so um, so stay tuned for that um, again we, if you have any questions you can you also use the QR code um, and that the URL for that is askofficehours.com but there is um, sometimes a QR code that appears right here while I talk about that but it's not appearing today we're also t- People are getting yeah. There we go. See, there it is. Um, so uh, there's the QR code there, so you can use that as well. Uh, you don't have to log in or do anything else. Also, a quick reminder that if you're in Discord, uh, the connection to the radio app is there. The link to the test flight radio app, and it has now the link to the same place that the qr code goes so that you can actually just ask questions from the radio app that's a little update this week so um so anyway so jump on that as well and uh, let's go ahead and jump into the first question and cj is uh, is just getting started here welcome cj uh, as a reader so uh, let's go ahead and jump into the questions
1: Okay, good morning from Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida. How would you explain mic acoustics, reflection, transmission, mic patterns, noise cancellation to a child? Courtney?
2: I guess it depends on how old a child is. You know, one way to start would be you could uh, take a piece of of, uh, pipe or tubing, you know, just large enough to fit in the ear and stick it in their ear. Have him stick it in his ear and listen with it and show him the directionality, how that changes the directionality of his hearing as you talk, as you go across the end of that uh, little tube. Uh, it could be a straw or, a you know, a piece of uh, electrical conduit. Uh, or you could take a, uh, a cup and make it into a megaphone by cutting out the base of it and talk through that and... Uh, Show him how your voice changes and how directional it becomes when you amplify it through a cone-shaped device. That kind of teaches you about acoustics. Teach him about uh, noise cancellation. He uh, better wait till he's a little older to explain that one, because uh, a lot of adults don't even understand that. Apparently, uh, about 180 degrees and reflections off of things. There's also science, space, and science museums. I know there's one in San Francisco, and there used to be one down in downtown LA that has a big parabolic dish at one end of it. And if you stand right at the focal point of the parabolic dish, you can have someone stand on the other side of the room and whisper and you can hear it. So that's another way to show uh, how sound bounces off surfaces and can be amplified by reflection. So there's about three ways. Good CJ. I
1: like to about sound in the same way I think about light. It's an electromagnetic wave, so I would get a flashlight because kids know what a flashlight is. Shine it against a white piece of paper. I'm gonna explain reflection. Shine it against something that is semi-translucent, transmission. You have one of those flashlights that has a variable uh, lens on it. And you're gonna show how a pattern was gonna change as it's listening, and then noise cancellation, probably uh, get a gel get a piece of CTO or CTB and say, I only want to see the orange. I only want to see the blue.
0: Uh, go ahead, Jeffrey.
3: So uh, a guitar string or a rubber band is a good, a big rubber band is a good uh, method to show what's happening when uh, when you talk because you can hit that and then if they can see the reverberation and then you can kind of explain how that works uh, in a microphone. It, it's all of these doing this all at once that that might be a lot for a child to really fathom right there i like the light thing the other thing is you can also get in front of a fan and that shows uh, reflection when you start saying luke i am your father or something like that
0: i did ask chat gpt what it what it had what it thought around this and and i, and I said all right uh, let's imagine that we're in a magical land called Soundville." <laughs> this is chat gpt <laughs> In Soundville, we have friends called Sound Waves that like to travel around and tell everyone what they hear. (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> sound waves are invisible ripples in the air that carry sounds uh, from Soundville to our ears. Imagine you throw a rock into a pond. The pond the pond idea is actually pretty good. So um, imagine that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's, that's I put it in. It that Soundville it in. thing, though, I don't know what your GPT has been smoking, but it's hallucinating a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, I don't know if the Soundville thing really works. I uh, go ahead, CJ.
2: I got. Uh,
1: imagine your voice is a bouncy ball. When you throw it at a wall, it comes back. If you throw it through a soccer net, it goes through. Reflection, transmission.
0: The um, you know the, the the thing that I've talked about the most is is mostly that the um, you know for uh, generally for s- uh, sound waves. The first thing I do is just hit something with water because you can see the waves and you can say that 's what 's happening There's there 's different the dark, the lower ones are bigger waves and the and the little ones are higher waves and and so there's and, and these go through it and then I talk a little bit about because I had to describe this a couple of times to kids and um, a microphone actually those waves go in and out and in and out and push that microwave back and forth and push the microphone back the back and forth and it actually you know trans, turns that into into electricity you know and then it pushes it out. most kids it depends on what you know most kids where i grew up knew a lot about electricity because we had we have electric
3: fences
0: (laughs) next question
1: next question
0: from me in central pennsylvania
1: many cameras have difficulty with the high end of the visible light spectrum is this a function of camera sensors compression algorithms or something else coloring area Alexa footage, there's no problem but iPhone concert shots suffer in purple and blue.
0: It's oh, a yeah. QR code, by the way. Oh, nice. Yeah.
1: I how wondered did that which
0: phone. CJ, how did, that, how did that work for you?
1: I use it all the time. It was great. And I had a question and I thought, wait a minute, uh, it's not live, but this might be good for later. And then I'm uh, very meta because I'm reading it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's the cool thing about the QR code, by the way, if you're if you're watching, is that uh, you can ask that car that, that any time and it goes into a register that doesn't get reset every day. So you don't have to wait for the morning if you just think about it. And once you get the radio app on, you can just go click on it and open it up and then just ask that question whenever it comes to you and then you're and then you're able to uh, come back to it. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, guy.
4: Uh, that's a good point because I saw that Laura Seal actually had a great question the other day about SDI distribution, and it must have got reset because she hasn't been watching lately. So that's a good thing for viewers to know is that they can use that QR code and hit it um, even before the reset so they don't lose that question. So we lost a question. Uh, uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. Back to this- Oh, yeah, But yeah,
0: so the, um, but you can ask that question anytime, um, you know, and basically we, it's in a different place than the main event. So we can push them in. Now we have to, we have to get to them on the day of the event because there's nowhere for them to go back to yet. <laughs> so we're working, on, we're working on that
4: part. Anyway, go ahead, guy. Yeah. I'm wondering which, uh, which phone that they have, because if you look at the, um, uh, this and is 14. CJ, CJ is they. Yeah. C- CJ, which, uh, which phone do you have? I've got the 15
1: Pro now, but just over the, I've shot a lot of concert video from, you know, when the 3G had video to now. And uh, I actually go back and watch it, so that's,
4: but anyway. Have have you tried this where, um, if you go into your camera settings, instead of, um, well, you enable for video capture Apple ProRes. So then when you go into your camera app, you actually have, when you go to video, you have that ProRes, you you can kind of see that it's... uh, fixed out but now so
1: in other words it is oh, it is so compression important. that's causing the, that that yeah you're basically not getting 10
4: bits so so now <laughs> max time seven minutes so yeah you can see that i can now shoot in, in pro with the phone and that'll give me a much uh, much more uh, color depth so uh, i don't know if you're limited to 8-bit but i'd imagine that you're just not getting that color and so when you go to edit that footage you're just you're getting you know that fidelity is not there because it was never captured to begin with. So especially in those those tough to those luminance and chrominance values that are just off the out of gamut they call it. So you you crush you're storing it in a format where it was never stored. So it's thrown away. It's not there to to edit with or to grade or anything like that. But if you can shoot in ProRes, you'll you'll definitely have it. I go to It
1: yeah, probably wouldn't uh, for size consideration unless I was bringing on a a little hard drive with me. I wouldn't shoot ProRes at a at a show unless it was something you're getting paid for and it was for other people's consumption. It was more of a curiosity because it's just it's always when it gets to that super purple almost ultraviolet uh, spectrum it just got always got clipped and then I was on a color job last year and it was the first and they did this like club scene that had lasers and strobe lights and these incredible purples and I was like this looks amazing. But there you go. It's in the bits.
0: Uh, Yeah, go ahead Courtney. Yeah, you got to remember, lasers are
2: very narrow bandwidth, so you can see colors in lasers. You know, lasers can generate colors that you don't see in the real world, so uh, that's difficult. The other thing is the periscope camera uh, or the prism-based camera to get the longer lens folded into that half, uh, you know, that tiny uh, sensor in front of that tiny sensor, maybe that is uh, changing the color because that uh, prism has to be coated on one side with a type of metal and it depends on the reflectivity of the metal that they used in the coating. Uh, so that it's possible that it may be attenuating some frequencies. And of course, CMOS sensors are sensitive to infrared, uh, a lot more infrared, and usually they don't put an infrared filter in front of them, uh, which they should, they do on higher
0: higher end cameras yeah and the thing that that's easy to do as well is that you can clip the camera you can clip certain channels but not other channels so the channels that oftentimes as soon as you do any kind of color correction you can clip um the you know in the linear space it's really easy to clip those and so that's what we find a lot of times when we have something that's dark and a lot of bright areas is you're not clipping everything equally you're you're clipping the you know the colors that are coming in through those lights that are peaking but the other colors are not getting peaked so if you do any kind of color correction to it it shows up pretty quickly um that you don't have any information there um the reason that the airy um in 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 general is is working better is because it's generally working in log and so now the new cameras uh, the new i just did this yesterday with my kids concerts um they were they were at a school concert and they um i could record log i haven't opened it up and played with it yet but i can record log on my um i think i might be able to find it here but um uh log on my iphone which was kind of um crazy like i, I at first i was like i don't know if this is gonna i mean you, you were able to do this with filmic to some degree but this is just with the iphone app um that that i was able to to, to you know set it to it was it was apple pro and log so as guy said with a one terabyte Drive. Um, I think it said that I had about um, an hour of of you know, like so. It was it was definitely um, a lot of uh, um, a lot of data. It hasn't and they haven't even made it to my. Um, I, don't think, I don't think they've made it to my phone yet. So um, yeah. So it's it's still a lot of data. So that that is. Um, but I think if you start shooting with the 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 iPhone 15 with log, you may find that you have you're using up a lot of drive space but you may find that you have a lot more color and a lot closer to what the Aerie can do especially in post production going guy.
4: Yeah, I just turned around and shot a little bit while let's see let me cut to that camera so that one's uh here we go auto. So now if this is a purple color and this was shot in ProRes just now and you can see that as I start to do things like change uh, the shadows or change the contrast uh there's there's just more to play with here brightness. And so that's editing just you know in the in the phone app but yeah this is Perez uh adjusting colors that are and then when I hit done let's go ahead and play this clip now I mean that's <laughs> for a phone that's pretty amazing and then this is piping through ndi screen capture so you guys aren't seeing the full resolution but it looks really good on this screen you know I'm looking at it down here in front of me and it looks really good so yeah I think it's like grading
1: on a on a on the built-in photos app that's insane
4: it is insane. It's very cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, Can't it the really the the 15 really feels like it's the first one that it's a production. It's, I mean, you can find other phones that are production phones, I mean, other cameras that are production cameras that are that have more features and more dials and more other things. But the iPhone 15, you could shoot. A film in. Like it, it is, it really is the, you know, the, the, that stuff. I mean, people have shot films with the, oh, the smaller ones for a long time. I think Tangerine was the first movie that was shot with a, you know, full length movie, but you could do take iPhones out. I mean, Apple's been kind of going towards this for a little while. Um, but I think that they're, they're at a point where you could shoot something like if, for instance, if you look at the new creator, um, the new creator was shot with, uh, Gareth Edwards, I think, shot that on the whole movie on FX3. You know, so, um, so and it's a full-on effects uh, film, you know, that's shot on a camera that was, I don't know, a $3,000 camera or $4,000 camera. Go ahead, CJ.
1: I colored a film uh, a couple of years ago that was, uh, it was a documentary on wine in the Republic of Georgia, and uh, the whole thing was shot on an iPhone 6, just to give you an idea of time. And when they were in some really dark scenes, like they were down in caves and going to the original places where they had made this wine underground in the Quevers, some of the shots were really, really challenging to get because it's it's iPhone footage. And I'm not sure if they got money from Apple to shoot it on iPhone 6 to have, say, made, you know, shot on iPhone at the end. But I kind of want to go back and say, man. If you were going to put something that I worked on on an IMAX screen, mm, it'd be nice to relive that with the 15.
0: Yeah, it it, it if you were should, and again, I think that there's still better cameras. I'm not going to say this is as good as an Arri or this is as good as a Venice or even even some of the Blackmagic cameras. It is is just that you really get that this has become a production camera, Um, especially if you're doing news gathering, if you're doing training videos, if you're doing those kinds of things. I think that this is well within the ability to do that now with all the controls that have been added. And especially, I have to admit that yesterday when I I threw it on, um, I uh, threw it up to... Um, I opened up the Blackmagic camera and immediately saw the, the thing and it was too much control. And I was like, I don't know if I, I'm not going to shoot my kids' uh, uh, music, little music concert with, with this because I, I don't know enough about the dials yet. <laughs> so, so, the, so I went back to the phone. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig into that a little bit more. But um, I really feel like the camera has taken some new leap, you know, in that, in that process. Um, next question.
1: Okay, next question from Carlo Prina in London. It's been a week since the iPhone 15 series came out. Oh, Anyone please. have initial thoughts on the video capabilities in the real, real
0: world? Yeah, go ahead, this
1: CJ. is a QR code question as well.
0: Yeah. I think we just kind of talked. We, we, we addressed it a little bit, but we'll, we'll address it a little bit more because another question there. Go ahead, CJ. Uh,
1: I just shot... Uh, I got the iPhone last week and I shot some video and some photos with it this week. Uh, and just the the low light performance and the sharp, the low light performance in general is, is outstanding with the, uh, when you're shooting in raw, but the, the real game changer for me has been that 5x zoom. Uh, the ability to, to, to grab detail from that far away without any of the, you know, digital trickery that's going on has just been a pleasure.
0: And, and I even did then zoom past that, um, for, you know, for last night for this uh, little recital, and um, and the uh, I was amazed at just the quality you get when it's when you're zoomed in. Like it's just it's because it's using that five X and then adding more digitally, and um, it was. Uh, i was going to try to show an example here, but I let's see. I, I realized, so I went to plug my camp my phone in, and uh, this is, I, I got the iPhone 15 yesterday, so it was uh, there. Oh, CJ, yeah, do you want to? Or is that another question? or Are you going to show that? Yeah, look at that.
1: That's a- yeah. This was the uh, so this was Pittsburgh this week. I just threw it up in preview. Uh, this was I think seven or eight shots uh, that then got stitched, and I had a little bit of a little bit of Photoshop to. Uh, I wanted the no- full full disclosure. It's a fake sky. I drug <laughs> I drug a big rectangle here and just said, "Hey, give me a new sky because the clouds weren't what I wanted it to be," and it did a pretty bang up job but then the issue was that the grain it was uh the of the sensor noise was there because of it being in low light but then the sky had no grain at all so i had to take the grain off of the and maybe this wasn't the best way to achieve this but i took the grain away from the photo and then applied uh grain to the whole thing afterwards to try to you know make it more consistent but the but way across, I mean you just got these incredible details and in the and the detail and the reflection on the water. I mean, I was just just in shock that I was able
0: to uh to get this on a phone. Yeah, and, and the um this is um uh this is just a really quick shot of that I and this is from the stuff I was shooting last night. It's my daughter playing the bass and and the um uh that's like I don't know, like a solid eighty feet away <laughs> yeah, I'm in like 10x uh, shooting in log um, you know across the across there, and it was uh was kind of, and, and the thing that you want to notice not only is it interesting that I'm shooting at 10x you know from somewhere else is that i'm shooting in and uh, look at how smooth it is i mean I'm moving a little bit but because I'm trying to figure out what I'm grabbing but but the um we can all know, know that how shaky that should be you know as, as they uh, as they got through there, so anyway, it's pretty uh pretty impressive oh uh, yeah go ahead uh, cj
1: did you notice when you were recording video that far zoomed in did did the because when i'm taking a still photo that zoomed in you there's kind of a a, a half a second delay as that sensor is uh getting stabilized did, is the algorithm in the video smoothing that
0: out yeah i didn't i didn't notice that at all yeah there wasn't any there didn't seem to be any uh any delay it was um yeah, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was. It was. I was kind of amazed at it. I got a color correct it I'll show it maybe on Sunday once it's been color corrected there. But, but I. But that's just from the regular iPhone app. Yeah, good, Courtney.
2: Yeah, like she mentioned, using uh, the iPhone for news
0: gathering, um, <clears throat> which has been happening for quite some time.
2: Yeah, I mean, and the the problem with that is, uh, I mean, it's great. It delivers great pictures, and it cuts well with everything else. <clears throat> the problem is, you don't get respect. And the problem is the person you're interviewing, you know, sees all these people with iPhones. They don't know who's the legitimate reporter and who's the Yahoo taking a picture for Aunt Mildred. Uh, So, uh, you know, they had to have some little case that you put on it makes it look like a shoulder mounted uh, ENG camera
0: with a light on top. You know, there are, it's funny, I see this more in Asia than I, the, the thing I see in more Asia than I see here is people taking the little cameras, whether it's just small cameras or or iPhones and just building a huge rig around them, and they really do build a rig that looks like a, a full on camera, but it's just the iPhone. And it's, and then I, I realize that part of it is having it not feel like I just picked up my phone. It's like there's a whole right, rig, yeah. and to your point, that has a lot of other bits and pieces to it. Um, when I'm saying, news gathering, generally, what I'm talking about are the um, the, the reporters have uh, many of the foreign reporters. I was in D.C. you know a couple of years ago for six months and. And we were at a news gathering. We were basically, our offices were in the, where all of the uh, Eurovision, so all the Eurovision members, which is all of the major broadcasters in Europe, are all in one building in in, uh, in Washington, D.C. And so we'd see them go out all the time. And I got to see them over a decade because I had an office there. And it, it was reduced from... an. <laughs> A producer. I mean, over ten years, it went. It was reduced from a producer and a big camera, and you know, like a, a little wheelie thing that had to go into the car, to, to an, a reporter out there with an iPhone. <laughs> like it was like in the you know, and it was with with an. And literally, they were using like the iPhone ear and a couple of them. I was like, you know you could do better. Like you could do something more than just a little iPhone ear for that. And they're like, really? And then they'd go buy some little extra bit for it to make it work. But they were literally putting them on tripods and just standing in front of them and gathering it. And I got to say, I saw them do it and I would go look at the footage, you know, because I'd see the news go through and I'd see the footage that I saw them shooting in front of my apartment or in front of my whatever. And I was like, it didn't look any different than anything else that was there. So you're right. You're totally right. I mean, so much of production in general and life is confidence. You know, people thinking that you know what you're doing, and so um, you, you know how you how you interact and the kind of tools you used and all those things do make a difference. And so, but and so that is a challenge. But there's a lot of news gathering that doesn't require an interview. You know, and so so they um, you know and so they you know that's that that happens too. Yeah. Go ahead, CJ. I'm
1: about. 12 years ago I was in the video department for the Chicago Tribune and I remember getting really really tired and really really hot in the summer when I was lugging a big camera down the street and I'm just thinking to myself man if I had a if I had a DJI gimbal with an iPhone and a decent mic setup cuz really half of the half the video is the audio sounding good right um what a difference that would have made but but the other thing about I think it was 2013 the Chicago Sun Times famously Converted all of their, they actually let go of their photography staff. That was kind of sad, but they, their replacement was they gave reporters iPhones. Probably more of the two steps ahead, you're a martyr kind of situation. But uh, I mean, it's now it's probably more possible.
0: Yeah, there was a there was a pretty hard change in the in, in many industries like about maybe 15 years ago. Well, 15 years ago they went from to DSLRs, right? Or maybe a little more than 15 years ago. And, um, they, uh, um, they went to DSLRs and that, like that happened at that Geo and a whole bunch of the photographers just quit and then didn't know what to do. (laughs) They were like, they quit. They're the film photographers and they didn't want to shoot video. You know, they were just like, ah, that's not, that's not, that's not my jam. And so I talked to one of them. He, he, uh, he now takes, I don't know what he does now, but 15 years ago he was, he was Going, he was basically traveling with very wealthy families and took pictures of them as if he was National Geographic for their vacations. And um, it's cool. It's quite a gig in case you're wondering. Um, but uh, but they had that problem. And I think that a lot of companies, everyone's always got to be the first one. And as CJ said, you're one step ahead, you're a leader and two steps ahead, you're a martyr. And probably jumped in a little too early. I found an old video of myself. Um, I'll have to put, po- I, I think I downloaded it. I was kind of excited that I had found it. Um, and, uh, the, um, it was me, I was searching for something else. I was searching for something else and it just pops up and because it's the most viewed video that I've ever done, uh, I had about 2 million views before, uh, it had 2 million views and it wasn't on YouTube. It was just a random because Wired picked it up and I put it out there and I was, um, yeah, I was kind of randomly looking for something else and found it. I'll see if I can find it again. But it's when the 3GS came out. So the 3GS was the first. It was the second, I think the second or third phone. I can't remember which one it was. And I was really excited about it. And so I um, built a, you know, I built a, a, a fake rig. Yeah, the 3GS, yeah, the, the third one. And um, I built a fake rig and said, this is going to be the future. But that was, you know, whatever. And, 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 I, and I did a video about it and, and wired in a, what do you think? You know, um, kind of post. I'll see if I can, I'll see if I can find it what we're talking. Go ahead, Courtney.
2: Yeah, but they ought to have, uh, maybe they do. Uh, I know the uh, DJI action cam and maybe the, uh, uh, the new uh, GoPro Hero 12 or 15 or whatever it's up to now has the automatic uh, uh, horizontal shooting, regardless of what, Position the camera is in and keeps the horizon level. That would be great for news reporters. So the idiots that hold up their camera in vertical mode rather than turning it horizontal will still be shooting uh, sixteen by nine uh, out of the carved out of the four K sensor for ten eighty P. So that they can uh, file their reports without them having to do the embarrassing focus things on the side and limiting that vertical format. You know, that would be great. Regardless of how you hold the phone, it always shoots sixteen by nine.
0: That's just crazy talk. That's all I gotta say. Um, yeah, no, I can't. I know I downloaded, but I, I, you know, here's my problems in Oh, here it is. Hold on. You're gonna see a very much younger and thinner version of me. Hold on. Let's see if I can pull this over here. Um, and I don't have any way to get audio from this computer in, so we'll. Uh, you can probably find this. This is a Mac break from a long a long time ago hold on we're obviously a little bit more relaxed on saturdays than other days hold on here we go but this was the um let's see here this is me showing off the little the the 2gs the talking about it and that was me showing the i think the image there Wow, you were younger then. I was a lot younger. Fifteen years, you know. it's not it's not the years, it's the miles. Um let's see here, but uh but yeah, we we uh this was in our old office in in San Francisco. But then I then I went and I built this <laughs> we built this like the morning of the event of as soon as they announced it, we started just grabbing junk around the office and um and throwing it together. So I so I, I uh I'm put this all all together here there's my little rig (laughs) so I was like this is gonna be the future so anyway that was a little little while ago I'll try to post that video somewhere but it was it was a fun video um and I again it 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 just destroyed our servers because we didn't think that we just thought it'd be fun for Mac break and um then Wired picked it up and it just just I got a call from my service provider like what's going on hey how's it going we're moving a lot of video (laughs) what what, what are you doing over there so anyway um this is back when it was expensive to do that kind of thing thank you to matt at cashfly we really appreciate your patience uh next question
1: from tony liuzzi in seaford another qr question how are the sources synchronized when you cut from wide to a close-up on the same talent good guy
4: yeah, I'm wondering what he's using. Like on the uh, stage shows, you know, we're using tracks, cameras, at grass valleys, and they've got a frame sync, and so it's it's synced by the line. I mean, it's just dead on. So when you cut from a wide to a close-up, it's imperceptible. So I'm wondering if you're running through like a, uh, a switcher with uh, frame syncs, and there are different types of, um, uh, of cameras. Well, and I think and so this might, might be a be- more
0: general question of just not having done this before, you know, of any kind of sync. To- i don't think it's even frame sync i think this is just more general general question there um yeah go ahead courtney
2: uh yeah professionally uh they use what's called time code and each camera then has a clock that runs it's very accurate to the you know a thousandth of a thousandth of a second, uh, and. Uh, they're synchronized together before the shoot starts and they're recording time code markers into each file that they're shooting so uh, when you bring it into an editing program later you can take your wide shot and your close up that are shot on two different cameras from two different locations and sync them up using the time code another way to do it is how they've done it in Hollywood for years is to put a slate in front of the both cameras and do that at the beginning of a shot of course if once you cut that's no longer, you no longer stay in sync. So as long as the camera keeps rolling, you can synchronize that sound of the clapsticks coming together and your uh, and the clapsticks hitting each other between the two cameras and maintain maintain sync throughout. Because most cameras have a consistent time base, so that they will stay in sync. That's if you're not, you know doing a live show. If you're doing a live show, it's like uh, like Guy said, where the cameras are gen-locked together so that uh, when they cut from one to the other, they're you know exactly in vertical sync and even horizontal sync between the two of them. So it'll be a seamless cut from one to the other because they're usually uh, deriving from the same house sync signal. Uh, or they have crystal sync generators, which they use the time code to sync together before Jam Sync together, before they run out with handheld cameras. Good, CJ.
1: And if you're in post, I think since a little bit, Premiere had it a little bit before, but Final Cut does a really good job since Final Cut 10, of if you've got two different, if the cameras are recording audio, you can just click on them and it'll sync up the waveforms. Even if it's not a great onboard camera microphone and then you've got a second system somewhere else, that, that whole grouping of clips together makes it really easy. Next question. Okay, next question from Eric Hurs in Hartford, Connecticut. What is the best WebRTC CDN content distribution network? Cloudflare, Cloudflare may have some issues, and there's a link. Go ahead, John.
3: Yeah, so so I don't know about best, but the one that we used in the past was Talkbox, which was acquired.
2: They acquired from Telefonica, and then Vonage acquired Talkbox, and then. Vonage was acquired by Ericsson so Ericsson has a
0: WebRTC CDN that that we've used in the past. It's expensive. Yeah, there um you know AWS does does is being used by by folks so there's oftentimes some kind of front end um, but but it is um it AWS has the facility or people are using it for this process um so i you know i don't know i don't actually know what the best one is i would say that if you are it depends on what how much you want to dig into it so remember that zoom also has zoom sdk so zoom sdk is kind of a i would say it's not exactly WebRTC. rtc it, it starts it has some history there but it really is a much more robust uh, transversal through networks and so on and so forth so if you just want to build the app and you don't want to deal with how they how the all the video gets back and forth and all the basic interactions that we see in Zoom, uh, I would definitely recommend looking at the Zoom SDK um, to, to make that happen. There's another one called, I think, daily.co or TV or whatever that, um, that, does, that lets you build apps on top of it. And I, I, haven't, I, I have a partner that's been using it, but I haven't uh, had enough time to really dig into it. Um, next question.
1: And a, another riff on the theme from Eric Hers in Hartford, Connecticut. Thoughts about WebRTC support being added to FFmpeg,
0: and another link. I think it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting thing to do to, to connect, you know, to have FFmpeg support WebRTC. I, I don't think of um, I don't think of FFmpeg in that way. So I, I have to look at it a little bit deeper. I know that's probably pretty brand new and I appreciate bringing it up, but I, I haven't really been able to study it very deeply. But I do feel like it's an it's a interesting, um, it's again, the, the way WebRTC works and the way ffmpeg works, I'm, I, I find it interesting that, that that would cross over, but it could. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next question. From Paul
1: Wallace in Austin, Texas, trying to update trying the updated Bard, which connects to Gmail and other Google products, and the results are truly impressive. I asked it to go to a folder and call speaker bios and questions in a given conversation, and it did wonderfully.
0: Comment. I think that this is going to actually be one of the more popular things that we do with with uh, with uh, AI is to have it sort through things for us, and questions could be one of those things. Um, so, and you know, and I think we're looking at you know, some stuff in the future for what we're doing here, um, to, to be able to sort through lots and lots of questions. It's not a big deal for the kind of questions, you know, the number of questions we get on office hours is not a big deal, but I have, I get events where, um, we have, you know, 5,000, 6,000 questions in 20 minutes. And how do you find the ones you're looking for? (laughs) That's what we're looking at using for it. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I think uh, personal assistants are now
2: thinking about unionizing because their jobs are going to be in trouble. This is one of the things I think the writers were, uh, you know, striking over is the use of GPT to perform these tasks that normally involved writers, although this is kind of a mundane task, uh, but uh, being able to scour through stuff and summarize it, a friend of mine Gets paid to scour through stuff for uh, a uh, psychologist who who takes depositions and does reports to the court and so on. And I've tried to get him to uh, use ChatGPT to summarize this stuff, and he's been afraid to use it because I think he sees the writing on the wall that if it works really well, it could be taking his job. You know.
0: Yeah, and it's happened. I mean, this has happened before. When we had we saw rotoscoping, um, you know, hit and a lot of visual effects firms. Uh, they they started using rotoscoping as a um, you know like oh we can send this to India. And at first it wasn't very good, and it was a little hit and miss. And then and then the the Indian rotoscopers got really good because they had so much work, and then they got all the work. And the and that put an incredible amount of pressure. You know, I think that what people when they talk about. The, the difficulties in the visual effects industry there was a lot of this um, uh, kind of undefined work, like rotoscoping that no one really knew how much that cost to do <laughs> you know so it wasn't and so that was like fat in the system that you could use to make up for visual effects being harder than you thought or other things like that and and it was um anyway it was it was one of those things that uh when it got taken away, it took so much. Um, safety away from all the VFX firms, and putting them on a lot of them started going under. And but it was because they were trying to wring out a little bit more profit. By first, they themselves were sending the rotoscoping out overseas, and then, of course, the producers realized that that was just available, and said, "Well, we'll just take it there." And they didn't they didn't have them do it anymore. <laughs> so they didn't, what was a profit, more, um, you know, an extra adding a little extra profit turned out to be something that didn't work. And I think you're right that that, that could be the case for, for, um, uh, for a lot of things with chat GPT code CJ.
1: I think for anybody who gets a lot of email, any tool that you can use to make that easier to digest is a total game changer. I haven't had uh, experience with Bard. We're not a G suite at work, but I have had some emails where two people get uh a little tens with one another, and the email gets very, very long, and it's kind of stream of consciousness. And I copy and pasted the email into, and I said, hey, tell me who are the stakeholders in this email, what are their concerns? And then it gave me a nice little summary. Well, this is person A, and they want X, Y, and Z, and this is person B, and they want A, B, C, and D. And it was was really great. I just, uh, I find myself, I have a, a text expander snippet. That's a prompt, I have a couple prompts that says, hey, this is my email clean it up, make it as few words as possible so that the person on the other end of the line isn't getting, like, respect their time. But then I have another one that's, okay, read this email and tell me what the thing is. And I feel better about the, I feel better about using the API call because then when some when my, my chat GPT window is open, all my email is not there in the history.
0: Yeah, the, um, uh, oops, sorry, I'm, uh, I have it on my iPhone because we're looking at the HDR thing here. The, um, uh, I think that you know. I what I, I think I've mentioned before. One of the things I, I was talking to a YouTuber, and when they people send them complaints, um, you know, to their what they're doing, they they said we just I just use Chappy Chippy. Tell them this, 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 and this, and it just sends out an email that sounds much nicer than what they want to say, um, in uh, in words, and it's nice and long, and it really feels like it. And they just like you know if if someone it's, it's if someone's kind of a is problematic. I mean, obviously, if they have a good they have a good rip complaint or a valid one, they respond to it themselves. But for people who are just you know, you, you get a lot of. Um, errata <laughs> when you do stuff on the internet and so they just they just it's easier to just send something back from the machine than, than to. and it's, it's emotionally easier because they don't have to uh, think about it or interact with it. Go at CJ.
1: So what I've got here is this is Mac GPT and I just type in GPT email and it pops out my prompt and says hello again chat GPT and there's a big prompt about how I need assistance with my email and then uh, it's not working right now because uh, usually it says prompt mode engaged. Let me know what you want. And then I have my email that I'd like to clean up in the clipboard. So then I paste that in and it's about 80% of the way there. It's pretty cool.
0: And the answer is no, I can't get this to go all the way to zero for some reason. All right, uh, next question.
1: Okay, next question from Chris Widener. In Lafayette, Indiana, if you were looking for your next full-time job opportunity, where would you look? LinkedIn? Somewhere else?
0: Jeffrey.
3: So, and, and I'm kind of doing that right now. I'm, I'm not really looking for a full-time position, but I'm looking for part-time jobs because I have to uh, pay some bills. So I've been doing a lot of gig economy stuff. Yes, I do have a Fiverr set up, a couple Fiverr set up uh, to do some basic editing. Uh, videos. Um, But I did do the one of the things I did do was LinkedIn. And I took uh, they give you a free month uh, and take the highest plan for the free month is my is my recommendation. And then after that, figure out if that's what you want to continue on or 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 scale back down to something else, but at least get a month in there. uh, Because what they do have speaking of AI is they have some AI uh, resume writing uh, options on there. So you can uh, clean up the, the resume that you have sitting in LinkedIn and get that all updated. Uh, and then of course uh, that I've been getting a lot of job opportunities through there. Uh, I've also been going through just all the regular ones like monster, like uh, uh, um, indeed or, or anything like that. And then just uh, the local Local jobs, sometimes they you can find them on websites and, you know, uh, government jobs, they have their own spot for that. And I, I know that uh, Chris has worked with the government before, so he might be able to find something from there. But, yeah, not a, not a bad place to start.
0: Yeah, I, um, I haven't had to do it very many times in my life, but I have had to do it. Uh, and I have always gotten jobs that were related to people whom I knew you know and so um building a relation you know building relationships and i i don't really do it i can't I, i'm not a very good networker in the sense that i'm sending out everybody little cards and doing all little things but but i what i do do a lot is and so this isn't going to help you right now but but i will tell everyone that what you want to be doing is thinking about how you build relationships with people that you like over very long periods of time you know and that means Trying to help them when they have trouble, trying to, I mean, almost every job I've gotten has been from somebody who needed something and I helped them for no, and didn't ask for anything or didn't, and never reminded them again and never thought about it. Like just, like the people that are in my network, I, I try to help wherever I can at any given time. Um, I don't think about, you know, the time I have lots of. People who say, well, I don't know when I'm going to do something, I'm going to just call and I'm, you know, like it's, it's, it's free to talk to me for a half an hour if you're trying to figure something out. Like, you know, if you start wanting me to design something for you, it costs money, but otherwise just give me a call and we'll talk about it. And so I help a lot of people along with those kinds of things without really any expectation. Um, but, and, you know, the same thing happens here in office hours. You know, we, uh, the, the, the panel here shows up and is part of a conversation over many, many, you know, in this case, years. And you're building a relationship with people by serving them, and um, this is how you build that that connection out um, with lots and lots of people. I do it kind of naturally, but I I will say that there is a a process to that of being part of a community. And um, when you need it, oftentimes that community can come up and support you. You know, in in that in that process. But being part of that is something that's really important, and I think that a lot of times we miss that because we, um, you know, we get busy and things are good right now. <laughs> so we ignore, we ignore doing that um, on an ongoing basis. Uh, but I, you know, like a lot of times, like I, I have work come in that I can't do and I'll pass it off to somebody else. I'm gonna go, go hi- hire that person or get that person or do this. And I'm constantly trying to push work and make connections with people. And I've had companies come back and I've, you know, sold millions of dollars of stuff from between one company to another. And they're like, so what do you want out of that? And I'm like, I just, I'm just happy that everybody, everybody got what they needed. And, um, and because I don't ask for those things, you know, I have lots of partnerships and I have lots of people. When I said I, there was a company that I was working with and I needed help to prove that their company was the right one, but it was going to cost them like 20 grand to prove it. And, um, and, and then, but then I, you know, help them turn that into something. But they trust me because I've done a lot of stuff in the past. You know, I have a lot there. And so these things happen over years or decades and you really want to think about it. And the way, you know, I, I try to keep on underlining and, you know, it's, it's, you know, volunteering in office hours means you're meeting other people and people have already hired other people to for those kinds of things. Volunteering in, um, you know, being a panelist, uh, being connected in your community, being all those other things those are the things that start to tie those, those sinews together, but it's not, but if you try to, if you try to harvest it too early, the, 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 it's not going to be ready yet. It's not, it's like in, in you know, it's not ready yet, you know, in, in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. So, so you just have to, and, and the thing is, is that you want to try to never harvest it if you don't have to. What you want to be doing is constantly pushing out support to other people as much as you possibly can and building those relationships, knowing that, they solve themselves. Like it really does solve itself. But um, the the two temptations are: is when you're doing well, you just ignore everybody else, or you don't you don't do those outreaches. And when you're not doing well, you also sometimes can pull back. I've done that in the past. You pull back, and you don't want to be connected to people. But this is something that is a very long term thing. And you think when I think of it like an orchard, you know, it's when you're now just hunting for work, you're really hunting and gathering. And what I'm talking about is farming you know, and farming is something that you're going to plant seeds today and they're going to be ready sometime in a long, long in the future. And, and, and some of them will, some of them will, will grow and some of them won't. You know, and so, so you just have to, you know, it's a lot of seed, you know, that goes out. And so, um, but I, I find that again, it, it works naturally with my personality. It's just how I work. I like to work with people that I like and I don't like to work with people I don't like. And, and I, um, and I, and I kind of um, nurture the relationships that, that that um, I can in those areas, and I found that Discord is really easy for that. Um, but uh, anyway, so I would I don't have a solve for you right now. But what I would say is that I is that you you want to be thinking about this today for something that you might need years from now, and figuring out how to get involved with the communities that matter makes a huge difference. Go ahead, CJ.
1: The other thing that from a from a hiring manager's position, I really really dislike when I get the generic Indeed or LinkedIn, just plain Jane formatted resume that was generated by whatever you filled out on a form. If you're going to, if you're going to care about a job, care to take the 10 minutes to go into pages or go into whatever layout program you like and just make your resume look nice, make the margins look good, make the spacing look good. Don't make it generic, tailor it to the job. Don't just spray and pray like it's make it meaningful because for me, uh, I'm not I'm hiring people. I can teach most of the things that you're going to need to do a job, but I need somebody who's going to care and who's going to have integrity. And when I see somebody submit a resume that's just the generic thing that indeed generated, it's 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 a it's a turnoff.
0: Yeah. And I think that I think that also when you, uh, you know, I, I don't have any, any degrees at all. And um, I think that you also think about uh, you, you pay more attention, less attention to your resume and more attention to how you relate to other people. Because, you know, in the back of your head, anytime who hasn't, doesn't have a good degree, in the back of your head hidden somewhere there is the next job after this is McDonald's. <laughs> And so it keeps you. It's like a little engine that keeps you going. We were talking about that. I was I was in in Vegas and and uh, and there was a bunch of us that are all started companies were all about the same size and we we noticed that all, none of us had any degrees and so all it kept all of us kind of going. You know, was because there's nothing to lean back on. Um, next question.
1: Next question from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. OpenAI, in collaboration with Apple's former VP of Industrial Design, Johnny Ive. Is, deliver, is delving into a venture te- termed the iPhone of AI with a reported $1 billion in backing from SoftBank CEO Masayoshi-san. Please talk this over.
2: Good morning. I don't know what an industrial designer would be doing with uh uh OpenAI's algorithmic designers, but uh maybe who knows, maybe he's designing a human interface for an AI that would, you know, look like a river stone with the chrome coating on it and have no holes in it whatsoever. Um You know, like there's this coffee table you can get from William Sonoma that looks like that. You know, that's kind of what Johnny I would come up with. And you just talk to it and it gives you back information. Maybe it has a projector inside that projects uh, the generative AI on the wall and it comes out of a, uh, you know, If it's chrome coated, it could come out from behind the chrome and project on the ceiling. That would be really interesting. Uh, But that's how Johnny, I think, would be involved. And it's interesting that he he comes from, if he's been with Apple for so long that he goes over to the, you know, OpenAI,
0: which is, you know, controlled by Microsoft pretty much these days. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I feel like they might be a little behind on this, but it's possible. I mean, because a lot of the stuff is working pretty well right now, even with what ChatGPT is doing. So it'll be interesting to see if they're able to catch up and do something that truly get turns the corner there. Uh, I wouldn't put it past them, though. I mean, the thing is, is they've thought about, it's not so much, it's user interface, and I don't know if it actually has to do with hardware or software, but really the thing that Johnny Ive had to do for a long time is just think about how people are... Thinking about these things, you know. So I think that that's, um, you know, part of that. Um, let's go to the next question.
1: Next question from Douglas Carmichael: Would it be worth upgrading from an iPhone 14 Plus to an iPhone 15 Pro Max? It seems the 15 is almost a production Swiss Army knife.
0: Jeffrey.
3: So the iPhone 14 Plus would have been the A15 chip. And then, of course, uh, the 14 Pro is the A16 bionic chip. And then the uh, 15 Pro is the A17. So you're basically jumping a chip uh, to get the best uh, performance. So in, in that aspect, you're, even though it's a one-year difference, it's technically a two-year difference in technology. And then, of course, if you just don't want to buy another lightning cable, go for the USB-C.
2: I uh, go ahead, Courtney. Well, check with your carrier because I'm seeing ads on TV that says uh, they'll take any iPhone in trade to give you a new 15. I don't know if it'll be the Pro Max, but a 15 Pro uh, at for free at your carrier. They're going to make you sign up for another two years, or you know, uh, as their carrier, they're going to tie you into a contract of some sort. But it's uh, most of the carriers are doing this uh, free upgrade deal to entice people in. So. Check if you've got an older iPhone, especially a fourteen. They should take and trade uh, for free exchange without paying any extra money. Probably. Next
1: question. Next question from Eric Hurz in Hartford, Connecticut. Thoughts about Simulcast and moving all compression to the edge. There's a link.
0: The um, you know the, uh, I think that the Simulcast makes sense if you're if you're trying to just get out in front of a lot of folks. The big problem with simulcast in general, and I'm not, and I'm trying to figure out. And, and I, I admit, if you if you send things with anything complex, links that we haven't seen before, I, uh, it's hard for us to um, it's hard for us to go through the the links. So um, definitely try to send links a little bit earlier so that we can see, um, you know, what that what that actually looks like. Um, CJ, do you want to kind of give us a little overview of what of what this is, what what he means by simulcast? Because it means a lot of different things.
1: Oh, I'm throwing it right at you there. Yeah, go. Oh no, that's okay. Uh, So, essentially, you've got uh, a lot of different streams that are going out to the internet, and it's uh, depending on your connection, it's going to figure out like which one am I going to grab. And it's not quite the same thing as like when you're watching Netflix or an Apple TV movie, and you get that little tiny bit of you know it's a a low resolution clip before it, it ramps up. But I was just trying to peek at his link, and I'm not uh, – I didn't realize it was a video, so I thought I'd be able to read a little bit more.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll post that again, but just just do it a little earlier so we can have a little more time to look at it before the show. Next question.
1: All right, next question from James Foslian in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Is the iPhone Pro Max base memory 256 gigabytes enough if I'm working with point clouds or other applications like this? Go, Jeffrey.
3: It really depends on what you're doing, how much you're doing, and, uh, and all those little fun little things. I personally like the fact that I keep my phone in a low, um, like one terabyte, I end up getting a whole bunch of stuff. And then I got to go reviewing all that stuff. Uh, whereas with the iPhone 15, uh, even with my 14, I've uh, ha- I have like a little uh, dual drive where I can pull stuff off and then uh, move it over to uh, to a computer to do the editing. I try and take all the video that I create off my phone as quick as possible, and I'll do that through that or through Dropbox uh, overnight, and uh, and then I can keep the storage clean. Uh, and then of course I also have two terabytes on my Apple iCloud account, which help on that. And that keeps the 256 gigabytes uh, pretty well managed. And like I said, with the iPhone 15, now you can put on a good external drive and you'll be able to offload that a lot quicker than you would with the uh, with the previous models. Good, CJ. I struggle a little bit
1: with this because um, I like to think that I'm not going to carry around that much stuff, but then... After just loading up my phone and setting it up after a week, I'm sitting here at 230 gigs used, and that doesn't leave a whole lot of room for much more. The other thing to consider is that if you're in a uh, if you're in a bandwidth challenged area, or if you travel a lot and need to store things offline, whether that means it's photos or videos or podcasts or whatever, uh, you're going to be taking a lot of stuff around with you, and it seems like the the prices that they're charging anymore, you know, the iPhone's still very expensive, but it's not to get up to that middle tier isn't that much, and I think it's worth the investment, especially
2: with the ability to shoot such such just fat, fat video files. Good, Courtney. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's come up with it yet, but since it has the the Pro Max has the high speed USB C connector on it, you could take small terabyte drives like this that are the size of or smaller than the size of the phone itself, and do a MagSafe connection on the back to have it stick on the back and a little short jumper USB C jumper cable. And if you're doing you know acquisition, if you're shooting video, have it shoot directly onto the. Uh, onto the NVMe drive. and uh, That way it doesn't tie up your on onboard storage. You can reserve all your onboard storage mainly for your apps and any data you need to carry around with you all the time without having an external drive in. But then when you're shooting video to edit later, record directly onto an NVMe, even if you just you know get some double-stick tape and glue it to the back. Next question. From
1: Samuel Nordvik in Norway, when showing a white background on an HDR stream, how much is it ideal to turn down the highlights to not overexpose
0: the HDR image? Well, you're seeing in in ours, we have to kind of think about our QR code, for instance, is that it is... uh the QR code is really bright. I'm looking at it on our on our show, and it's like wow, it's 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 it lights up a lot. So, um, so we are you do have to think about those things as far as limiting those those out. So we'll continue to kind of play with what those those are. I don't have an exact number for you. Um, oftentimes, um, a lot of us will talk about. On the straight whites, um, you know, getting into the, you know, possibly 600 nits, you know, kind of thing, not, a, not letting it go all the way to 1,000 nits. Um, you know, so it depends on what you want to, how you want to look at that. But, um, but I think that it's, uh, we do have to think about pure white. You can see if you look, if you're looking at our HDR and our HDR cable device,
4: you will um, notice that we need to work on that a little bit. Yeah, go ahead, Guy. Yeah, Mickey's saying in the chat, as long as engineering has a good pipeline, that they can crush that. So that's that's what I've noticed here too. Like when we first started doing HDR here in Office Hours, I had a a, uh, a limiter essentially that would take any web pages that would be shown uh, and take it down from uh, to about 95%. So I, I, I would take that threshold. But if it's piping through the um, Office Hours, AJ, um FSHDR, and they've put a lut on there that crushes anything, so that you can't go the, to those extreme whites that'll, you know, hit that that thousand or just be blinding. Then that's just proper engineering, you know, not to not to let that stuff hit. And you're going to see us continue to experiment with it <laughs> because we will be doing
0: probably, arguably, uh, one as this goes into the daily show, we'll be doing probably more live HDR than most people do uh, anywhere in the world. So um, you're just seeing us kind of play with it at the moment, and we'll you'll see us make some adjustments as we go. Next question.
1: Ronnie Hofsoy in Tromsø, Norway, says crucial X9 and X10 portable solid-state drives were released sometime back and the X10 has really good performance, but can these be used at that speed on a Mac? Or is the X9 maxing out
0: the speed? You know, I don't know what the speeds are for the X. I, I just haven't used the X9s or X10s, and so I don't know what the speeds are. I can tell you that the, the internally the Mac can, you, can do a lot, but generally what we see is about um, uh, two and a half gigs per second is, the, is about the, the most we see out of, a, out of one Thunderbolt connection. Um, that's a 10 meg or that's a 20. Is that right? 20 megabit. Um, yeah, connection there. 20 megabit connection. Um, that's what we've seen so far. Um, they have hard drives that actually will use up all of your Thunderbolts if you have a studio. Uh, that'll and then you. But internally, we're seeing transfer rates of five gigs a second. Um, so they. Um, so it's 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 pretty fast. Next question.
1: Next question from Joe Phillips in Murphy, North Carolina. I saw a hot topic in social media about the iPhone 15 overheating. Have any of you experienced this issue with large transfers or extended use?
0: Uh, I have had it only for a day, but have not. I keep on feeling it, waiting to see if that happens, and it hasn't happened at all. I don't know. I, I, can, I run it with the screen on. I run for a long. I've been filming some stuff. I've been, but it's only been a day. So, but it hasn't been. I haven't had any heat issues at all. Go ahead, CJ. It was a little warm on the first day but uh,
1: your iPhone's downloading all of your apps and all of your photos and everything and especially if you're trying to do any of that over cellular I feel like the cellular antenna gets a little hotter than the uh, than the Wi-Fi chip but I think people are looking for things to uh, to kvitch about because they've got
0: uh, <laughs> they've got nothing to uh, you know get people in on the clickbait I, you know, I, 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 um, every iPhone release has some kind of gotchas that someone's trying to do. I think the problem is it's a really good phone and everyone's trying to find some legitimacy by trying to pick at something and, and we haven't really, I mean, you, most of these things kind of wash their way out over the couple weeks. Next question.
1: From Chester Sweeney in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you could change just one physical thing on the iPhone, what would it be? I would trade the action button... For a high impedance headphone jack from the QR code. Good, see Uh I think the the one physical thing that I would change, and I don't know because I think I'm limited by physics here, is I love everything about this camera. The only thing that's the gotcha is the sometimes you'll see the uh, like almost like interlens reflections, like if they're like. When I was earlier, when I was showing that panorama of Pittsburgh, all of the lights of the city, kind of I saw the mirror image of them in the sky. And I kind of before I wiped the whole sky out, I had to say, no, go away, go away, go away. So uh, just if there was any way that, the, and that they could use their gajillion dollars of engineering budget to uh, or, or a or some sort of machine learning, that would be what I would say. Next question. Next question from Roz McNulty in Vancouver, BC, Canada. Anyone want to comment on the new Quest 3? Did anyone watch the MetaConnect keynote? Does anyone see it as possible competition to the Vision Pro?
0: Well, I think it definitely is competition to Vision Pro, in the fact that they're both in the same space, and it's definitely a lot better than it was before. And it gives people an opportunity to spend, you know, to get an experience that isn't thirty five hundred dollars starting starting cost. Um, Is it going to have the same performance specs? Probably not, because I don't think it's possible to to build one with the same performance specs at five hundred dollars that you get with thirty five hundred. So the people who are spending thirty five hundred are probably going to be still happy with their thirty five hundred dollars spend. But it gives it is. But what you can see is that. I think that Apple has increased the... Um, they moved the, the, the rung of what high-end headsets can look like. And I think you're going to see more people coming in under $3,500 but not trying to shoot for 300 I think the era of $300 headsets, $300 headsets is probably over. Um, you know, they're, you know, and so uh, they're, they're most likely going to see five hundred thousand two thousand 2,000 headsets, which will, mean, will be a lot more quality... But I think it's kind of and en- like taking that cap off and you'll see you'll see everything kind of creeping up to try to they can stay under thirty five hundred but they can still produce more higher performant um headsets you go ahead Courtney
2: yeah at the price that they're offering I think it's a game stop for four ninety nine for the uh metaquest three v r which has the cameras in it um you know you can buy Uh, a whole set of them for the whole family for the price of one of the uh, Apple devices, which you would have to share. And, you know, since the Apple devices has built-in optics for everyone's eyesight, uh, tailored to each person's eyesight, I don't know how easy that would be to change out diopters or anything, so... That might be a better solution for some families. You know, whether to invest in uh, five hundred, you know, four or five five hundred dollar headsets, so you can have a family viewing experience uh, with a game, let's say first person shooters, as as opposed to a solitary experience for thirty five hundred dollars. Next question.
1: From Ronnie Hofsoy in Tromso, Norway, using the Blackmagic URSA for green screen with Ultimat can cause some issues with Mare if not using raw light or other optical low-pass vendors. Is this issue also present on their new cameras?
0: I'm assuming that what you're talking about is green screen um, on a, um, from a LED wall. So, uh, uh, not not a green screen, green screen. Um, so, because I, I can tell you that we don't have that problem with regular green screens, or at least I don't. Um, at least the green screens that I work on, I don't don't have any problem with green screen in a black magic camera. We shot a lot of green screen with it, so I don't. I don't think that's a problem. The new um, there are the new uh, oh uh, these are the optical low pass filters, um, which is what they're, and these are the things that break down the. Um, Uh, they get rid of a lot of the moray that go through it. So they are more sensitive to that at very specific. It's usually at a specific zoom angle or zoom, zoom length um, or in a specific position for the camera that you'll see these moray in, uh, in the, in the system. So it's not across the entire thing, but the new, there's new black magic cameras with um, the optical low pass filter there. And that's going to help. That's going to help with the things when you're dealing with led walls. Um, I don't, you know, I don't typically use LED walls for a green screen, so um, for a variety of reasons, and so I don't, I find that they limit what I can do a lot. <laughs> you know, so, so I don't, I tend not to incorporate them into the system. So, uh, but I, um, uh, but I think that that's what you're. I'm assuming that's your problem with regular green screens. We don't have any issue with marae. Good, Courtney.
2: Are uh, they may be talking about the buyer arrangement of the sensor?
0: Uh, because the green, it'll have double the green uh, sensor. Well, without the low on, pass, on the I sensor mean, without the low pass, without uh, the low, any any camera without low pass is going to see more moiré, right? You know, and so it's and, and that has to do with the patterns on the LED wall because the moiré is directly connected to the, the um, pitch of the of the of the background. So you know, a lot of people no, have I'm LED talking-
2: walls. And I'm not talking about an LED wall. I'm talking like a regular flat green screen yeah, I've uh, seen that. if the uh, if the sensor pattern itself is showing up in the file of a high resolution file, the sensor pattern in the camera is showing up because you know it's a buyer. when yeah. it's de-buyered, it's not. Uh, Maybe their debiring filter doesn't uh, take into account the positions of the green sensors versus the red and the blue, which there's double I, the
0: green sensors. So. All I can say is I've shot a lot of green screen with Blackmagic cameras and never seen that. <laughs> but now I will say there are a couple things that I tend to do. Um, I tend to make sure that my green screen, this probably, it, it could be the, it could be possible to have that happen. Um, but if you're doing what I would consider proper green screen for, for things, which means that I'm at least 10 feet away from the green screen, that I have a short enough depth of field to put it into out of focus that I have, you know, not using an LED wall. Um, if you do those things, I don't, I don't notice a lot of, um, green, um, you know, so I, um, but I consider like five feet bare minimum. And usually I have a shorter depth of field, um, as I, as I kind of work through that. So, so I don't, um, you know, I've shot green screen in all kinds of different environments and with all kinds of different cameras and not seeing on a fabric green screen, not seeing that. We definitely see it in LED walls. And part of it is the curved walls are typically 2.3 to 3.2 mil, um, millimeter. Um, um, and that's, in my world, too big. So, um, I'd rather have a flat screen that was down at 1.7 or lower or even under a millimeter. Um, and so, those are the kind of things that, that we're looking for oftentimes in green screens, if we're or not green screens, but LED walls, um, you'll, you, they tend to be much less susceptible to marae. Um, but I haven't seen it on a green screen. I'm not sure, you know, you'd have to probably give us more detail about what kind of green screen you're, you're working with there. Next question.
1: From Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. Comment on Letterboxd, the social network for recommending and reviewing movies, which has become kind of a shibboleth for film nerds over the past decade.
0: And a link. I, I don't know what a shibboleth is. I'm not, I, it's uh, outside of my uh, wor- world. But and also, um, I've never heard of Letterboxd. <laughs> so, so, like, evidently, it's not taken, not taken the whole world by, sta- uh, by, by storm yet. So I don't, I don't know uh, either of those there. Uh, next question.
1: All right, next question from Douglas Carmichael. How do you create an ambient environment for an Atmos mix if you aren't using a mic designed for Atmos recording?
0: Well, I mean, you use a lot of mics for your. your, your Oftentimes, you're not using mics that are designed for Atmos recording. You're using mics to gather um, you know, the air information that you want to mix into that. So you may either you're making those objects or beds within the Atmos system. Uh, you know, you can do things like Ambisonic, and um, you know, and 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 be grabbing the field that you can then grab onto things from there. Um, typically, I would think about that more as a bed. I would think of the uh, things that I'm recording um, more in the um, uh, when I'm thinking about recording. I would be thinking more. In the, in the world of, um, of, you know, individual objects or individual areas that I want to cover there. So, but there are, I don't know, I actually don't know of a mic that is designed perfectly for Atmos. That, that is, I don't know what that would be. <laughs> so, so you would, but I think that the, the different, you could be looking at a mixture of ambisonics and, and area mics and lots of other mics that would grab different elements that you would recombine back into an Atmos mix. Now, next question. Next question from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. Do you think I'll be able to plug
1: my Tula mic into the USB-C interface of an iPhone 15 Pro Max? Lately, the Tula has been rocking it in after hours, by the way. Go ahead, CJ. Um, The only thing that you might have trouble with is I'm not sure if it'll power that microphone. I plugged my audio interface into the iPhone last night to try and record the personalized voice. Uh, with my microphone. It didn't like that, by the way. It wanted the built-in microphone to do it. But uh, I think you'd be fine. The only thing you might run into is you may need to have a powered hub uh, to get power to the microphone. And obviously, battery life is a consideration. Next question. Next question from Douglas Carmichael. Would Logic or Studio One work best for podcast editing? Most of my DAW experience has been for music production. And I like how Studio One hides parts of the UI that aren't appropriate for podcast work. And there's
0: a link. I don't have any real discussion. I don't have any real opinion about uh, uh, Studio One as far as editing it. I, I I edit podcasts in Logic, and primarily because I want to do other things with Logic, and I like being able to build up the muscle memory. <laughs> so so you know the idea is is that you know Logic when I first started going back to it, I hadn't used it for a while. You know, it was just remembering where all the keys were, and the zooms, and the zoom outs, and having it become something that was more uh, comfortable for me. And I also do have some ideas around doing some podcasts that are a little bit more um, atmospheric and, and playing around with Atmos and so on and so forth. And so I, I, I jumped into it there and started to work with it. And I, um, I am trying to, you know, I use it all the time for that. And there's some idiosyncrasies to logic that I'm running into as I, as I do the podcasts, but it's mostly because I'm planning to do other things with it. And I want to make sure that I'm just learning one pipeline and understanding and getting comfortable with it. So that's, that's why I tend to tend to use that. And I, um, I would use Pro Tools most likely if it didn't have iLock. <laughs> like the iLock makes me so insane because I don't have a key. I have software iLock and the si- software i lock. Whoever designed that should be fired. Like it is just, it's just the worst. Um, go ahead, C- CJ.
1: I think with any tool, it's really important to have the tool get out of the way of doing the task that you're trying to achieve. Uh, for me, it's I'm passionate about keyboard shortcuts. It doesn't matter if I'm in Excel or I'm in Logic or I'm in Final Cut or I'm in Resolve. Uh, if I can have muscle memory do the work for me, then I can think about what I'm actually trying to achieve. So whatever, uh, whatever makes the end product that you want to get to and it is nice enough, it's the nicest tool for you to get the job done, that's what you use. Next question. Next question from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. How can a microphone cost $4,599 be a good value like the Soyuz 017 series large diaphragm condenser microphone?
0: Good guy.
4: Yeah, some of these mics are handmade and there's, there's just... Not a whole lot of people that are willing to go to that level. There's $50,000 Sennheiser headphones that are also at CES that you can demo and try out. So at the high end of the spectrum, people are looking for those little nuances. And if you have somebody that's recording like a, a strat, a violin from the 1700s, that's, you know, a multi-million dollar piece and they don't pull it out of the vault very often. And it's going to be played by a world renowned person that's, you know, not going to live very long. You want to use the best and if that's what the studio technician pulls i mean uh, on our panel mitch uses the uh, thirty five hundred dollar uh neumann uh u87 uh so there it's just different different strokes for different folks uh what will get you there and uh, what kind of quality that you need but also you know you need a good preamp behind it so it's not just the mic it's the whole chain yeah go ahead Courtney.
2: Yeah, these mics, I, yeah, I looked at them. I, if this is a new company, I haven't heard of Soyuz before, but if you look at them, you know, they come in an FET or a tube type, so you can have a uh, actual valves in there, and uh, it takes a high-voltage power supply. And it looks like a designer product, you know, because it's got the mic head on the top and the can on the bottom like the, telefunc- the old Telefunken's used to have. Uh, but the problem is, you know, when people are used to paying $3,500 for a mic, it's for a classic mic that isn't made anymore. So that's how it has all this value. This, they're just, it seems to be, they're going for the prestige value of trying to create a prestige product without necessarily having a reputation to back it up. Code CJ.
1: The other question is, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to record? Good value is, is driven by what, are you trying to produce with the tool that you're trying to produce it? If, then there's, there's diminishing returns. Uh, the difference between a $10 microphone and a $100 microphone is magnitudes bigger than the difference between a $1,000 microphone and a $5,000 microphone, uh, unless you've got that whole entire chain that's designed to do a very, very, very specific task. So you know, what's the tool that's good for, for what you're
0: doing? Uh, go ahead, uh, Guy.
4: Yeah, the first time that I pulled the new uh, Sheps CMIT um mini out of the case, and it's in this beautiful wooden case, uh, actually, I have a reaction video up on, on YouTube, I'll put a link to it, and it's recording into a sound devices, and the nuances in my own voice as I talked into this mic, and I've, I've demoed tons of, I mean, hundreds of microphones, and the first time that I heard that Sheps was just so natural and smooth and detailed, it's become a standard. I mean, the Shep, if you look behind the scenes of a lot of movies, it's, it's Shep's. I mean, Mickey, I'm sure he'll pop in the chat and say, yep, confirm. So there's there's just uh, pieces that become standards because they deserve it. And Shep's is a brand. If I was looking at these these Russian mics versus a Shep's, I would go with what's tried and true, but also ask around in the communities Is engineers that actually do that. Robert Scoble, who was here the other day, I wonder what his microphone cabinet looks like. And he'd probably say different mics for different pieces. You know, this one's good for vocals uh, or female. I mean, you start to get into those nuances where it's female versus, you know, male. There's different mics tailored to different people and different frequencies. Next question. From Brandon Buttram in
1: Indianapolis, Indiana. NAB NYC is less than a month away. What is office hours coverage going to look like?
0: Uh, we're pretty excited about it. I mean, it's probably going to be a little bit longer than normal. Uh, we have a booth. So we have, um, we're, we have a 10 by 20 booth that NAB is providing. I'm uh, just finalizing bandwidth for it. Um, we also, um, so we're going to have a, um, some folks. And what we're trying to do is bring people in to actually talk to the panelists. So there's not going to be another moderator at the booth talking to people. They're really going to be talking to the panelists if we get the bandwidth uh, things sorted out next week. Um, we're just trying to... It's, it's a little complicated in these these events. So, um, so anyway, so we're... Um, but we'll have the booth there that we'll be able to interview folks. And then um, we'll have... It looks like two live views to, to bounce around in. And so... Um, so it, we expect to have. We're going to be taking over the Wednesday and Thursday of office hours to do that. So we'll start at this, at ten o'clock our time in New York. I'll be there, um, and uh, and we'll have. Um, so, and we'll put out one more announcement to let anybody, last, any last stragglers who want to jump in, um, you know, jump in, but it'll be all closed up in the next couple days um, if you, if you want to volunteer on it. Um, but we uh, are going to experiment with a lot of those things. That we're probably going to do a little experimentation with the, um, we're trying to work out doing some tests with the Blackmagic Cloud as well. So, um, so stay tuned for more of that. But I, we plan to have some table work where we bring people in to talk and then we also have, um, someone's got an open mic. I can hear them breathing. <laughs> so anyway, so, um, the, uh, uh, we definitely, um, this will probably be the most time we've spent on it. And part of this is because the table will allow us to, um, slow down a little bit, <laughs> you know, so, so we can, uh, we, we can actually, uh, for the, for the, roaming crew they can be between segments as we kind of go through that process and so we think that that's going to make a huge difference and it really set up things i mean i don't know if if i'll be willing to cover if if the table goes well i don't know if i'll be willing to cover an event we don't if we don't have a table in the future so um because i think it's going to make a huge difference in how we do it so stay tuned for that next question
1: next question from douglas carmichael maroon 5 had a las vegas residency that was performed in dolby atmos using an elacoustics 9.1.4 pa without using an Elisa processing unit. Wouldn't you need Elisa for immersive mixing with Elacoustics? Elacoustics seems to be an ecosystem
0: company. Uh, It is an ecosystem company and um, the processing, you know, oftentimes they have a system that's built for that, but it doesn't necessarily need it. I mean, you're still just deriving channels. I think it'd be very hard to do without the, um, the rest of it there, but you wouldn't need to have it. It wouldn't be required, I don't believe. Go ahead, Courtney
2: yeah riddle me this I didn't understand if you're recording if you're recording it for later you know listening at home uh, in surround um, that would make sense but if you're doing PA in the room, the room is the room, and the room is what's generating the acoustics, you don't have to artificially recreate the acoustics
0: in the room that is the room, you know Well, you're not recreating the acoustics, but it's 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 giving you, an, you know, moving the the music and other thing around you, so you know, most of the time, I mean, you're really it's like a left-right array, you know that's how mm-hmm. people are experiencing it and this is being able to have the music really, you know, be coming from different areas while you're sitting in it so you can really hear that surround, and I've i've sat i haven't sat in a a room full of people i've sat in a recording studio that is mixing a live show um and it's a very superior <laughs> experience um
2: but and so recording studio is usually a very dead room and a hall where you're performing with a live
0: audience is usually not that dead a room well that depends on how they built the room you know like there's definitely there's definitely halls that i've been in that are dead, like dead dead you know and and um, which you know and and that creates a whole you know set of impulse challenges you know for that but but i you know i think i don 't know, you know I'm, I'm going to guess. That they and if they did this, I'm guessing they did it at the MGM theater. This is the Dolby the, the Dolby is partnered with MGM to to build these residencies out. So I'm not sure if that's the case or not, but I think that that might be where, where it's at. And that's been very well treated for you know doing this kind of thing. And so reducing all those reflections are very important as far as the experience goes. And you know we the the harder part. A lot of times with the the processing is really who who really gets that whole experience. You have a large volume of people, and the people there's always one thing that I'm uh, even Courtney seen. <laughs> I'm very ruthless about getting to the 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 optimum. Uh, seat. I think we were down at Amazon and we were, the, I think we ended up sitting, we were at the Amazon theaters down there for a demo and for Semti, And I think that we were sitting there for an hour beforehand. Cause I was like, I'm going to have this seat. <laughs> we can talk to other people, but I'm still going to sit where I want to sit. And so, um, uh, so anyway, so the, um, uh, the, the I think that that's always the challenge is that there's about 12 seats in most theaters that all the, the speakers are kind of tuned to. And so those are the ones you want to sit in. How do you handle the rest of the audience? And I do think that you have to, and I haven't seen the final build of the MGM one, but it's probably a pretty focused group of people. It's probably not, going around the booth like where where surround stops to really work is when you know having big crowds that go around the stage and all the other things that that becomes and that's what l Acoustic specializes in is how do you deliver um all of that audio in a way that everyone can hear so um but I, it is it is an interesting it'd be interesting to bring folks that worked on that on we'll see what we can do next question
1: from ike potter in hanover germany what is a cheap option to bring NDI HX signals from several iPhones into different HDMI inputs of an ATEM mini switcher? Provided having spare laptops, I guess these, one per phone, each running NDI suite connected to the ATEM via HDMI?
4: Good guy. Yeah, that's definitely a cheap option. Just open up studio uh, monitor and go ahead and take the HDMI out of a out of a laptop. Another option would be... Uh, Probably the cheapest is the Bird Dog Play. So this is an Ethernet to HDMI device. They're like 149 bucks. That's another option. Uh, if you have Apple TVs, you can use the um, Sienna app, and that's one of the most stable that I've found. So I, I like that option. Uh, if you don't have a hard, additional hardware encoders, so I have a couple of different wells that I also use. And then you want to make sure that those phones. If you're going to be doing this a lot, you want to. Go ahead and get an ethernet adapter for the phone so that way the phone is hardwired into the system and you're not just using wi-fi so those tips should uh, help you get get uh, what you need next question
1: next question from roscoe jones in madison indiana has anyone used one of these mini tripods are they useful there's a link to pocket tripod.com
2: good courtney well, it's misnamed because it doesn't have three legs and a tripod has three legs, that's what it means it, uh, If you take a look at it, it uh, fits in your wallet apparently and you unfold it and it holds the iPhone on a flat surface so you got to carry around this stone surface with you uh, in your backpack in order to put it up at a eye level so there, there's that problem But it's good for propping it up, I suppose, uh, you know so you don't have to find something around to prop it up on. How much does if it you, cost? I don't know. Let's see. Thirty bucks. Thirty bucks. Yep. Oh wait, seventy dollars. Oh, two
0: two of them for 30, 70 bucks. And I'm gonna I'm gonna talk here for a second because I just uh, I was like oh we're about to close up and then I realized there were a bunch of questions in the drop <laughs> so we're gonna bring those in. I, the question manager in the background. I just want to I just want to um, apologize. I'm I'm doing a lot of things all at one time. Um, and so it's it's a little bit of a, um, the, uh, let's see here. The, um, yeah. So uh, we'll see if we can move them over. Just move them over. They don't have to do anything. Just move them. I'll move them. <laughs> we just, we just got get to them, get them over there. Oh, they came in as, um, they broke. Do they break? Let's see here. Hold on. Interesting. So we must have, uh, oh, there we go. Oh, no, We're still experimenting with this little thing and it just takes a minute for it to, that's really interesting. It took a minute to populate. It came over and they looked blank on the way through. Um, no, let's go to the next question.
1: Next question from Peter Rosato in Las Vegas. Hopefully not a silly question. Is there a concern about the information shared when leveraging the large language model capabilities in email, document analysis, and other examples like what was discussed this morning? In a QR yeah, code there's,
0: question. There's a lot of... Uh... A lot of concern about that. <laughs> so companies are building their own internal LLMs. You know, I'm, I'm definitely not using... I'm not using this for anything that is uh, mission critical, you know, like or, or secret or anything else. There's a lot of stuff we do when we're talking to people that doesn't really matter so it's not that big of a deal but i would definitely not put anything in there that that was that had trade secrets that had um anything that was problematic for me to have send out to an external server so i uh, so i think that there are um i think a lot of what i'm using it for is processing stuff that i'm interested in but it, but again i'm we're there's definitely people that are concerned about that and they should be um you, you are putting uh, core information onto us into an external um area go ahead cj
1: they do claim, if you are uh, somebody that goes to get the chat GPT enterprise, whoops, sorry, uh, if you're someone who goes to the chat GPT enterprise, that they have uh, enterprise-grade security and privacy, uh, but you know that's their claim. I still don't know if I would trust it, uh, but there is a way that they claim to protect your information. Next question. Next question from Eddie Hewitt in Toronto, Canada. What are some of the ways to have closed captions and PowerPoint on the same screen? Both are two different inputs.
0: Um, I think that the the big thing that you want to think about is designing. I mean, that shouldn't be that big of a deal, except for the fact that the closed captions, you need to think about your slide design so that the closed captions are not going over top of things that you need to see. So um, that's the big challenge. When you start to use closed captions, and you're expecting people to use a lot of people to use them, which is becoming more and more the case. You want to think about, you know, how you design slides and leaving that area opened. Um, We do a lot of testing with that in areas where we know there's a lot of accessibility or there's going to be a lot of people watching is to make sure that that lower area there is left open and, and we're not putting things that matter. You can have some graphics go down there. So it's basically what we would consider action safe, but not title safe. And, so, and, and that is a little bit more. So title safe is typically 20% of the frame and action safe being 10% of the frame. And we would consider... You know, if I know we're using captions, we would consider title safe, maybe 25 or even 30% of the frame at the bottom. And then action safe being the 20, still the 20%. So we're increasing it a little bit than more than normal if we really are building slides against it. If you're not using a lot of text in slides, which is the way you should build slides, by the way, then it doesn't matter as much because people will get the idea. <laughs> so but don't, you, what you should do is not use a lot of text in your slides and then, then it's not as big of a deal. Next question.
1: From Craig Kadoki in Toronto, Canada, how many channels of audio can QuickTime Player on Mac record? I've got a file that has eight. Is there a hidden menu in app to select channels from a multi-channel interface I.O.?
0: I don't know. Um, it, you know, technically, like an SDI signal will take 16, but I think it might be eight. But only, the only thing I would check, and I've never really tried to figure out, I have to admit, I've never tried to do that. Make sure that it's not eight pairs instead of eight channels, um, because the QuickTime may be thinking of those as pairs, but I've never tried to record more than two channels on a QuickTime, so we'll do some research on that. Um, next question.
1: From Mandy Van Cleve in Monroe, Ohio, has anyone used the external recording feature on the iPhone 15 Pro models?
0: um i haven't yet but i'm planning to do it over the weekend so if you ask this again on monday i'll probably know so i'm i i uh, have the drive ready to go and i i literally popped up and it said um last night when i went to record my kids um uh sessions that it popped up and said you can't record 4k 60 on the internal storage you have to, you need an external drive to record 4k 60 pro res log <laughs> which is what i was trying to do which is totally absurd i admit and so um so we're working on i'm gonna. And play with that and put it into a drive and see if it see how well it works next question
1: from tony mobley in noonan georgia i'm having the blue screen on the ican teleprompter what can i do to resolve the issue i've replaced the cables powered off still showing a blue screen
0: the blue screen on the on the ican if i remember correctly is, is it doesn't have an input so it's not seeing the input so you may have the wrong input selected go ahead courtney
2: can you record? Yeah, that was what I was going to say, is, is make sure you have the right input selected. And if it isn't getting uh, the ICANN, some of those smaller monitors are really picky about frame rate. And uh, they may not be able to take uh, 60 hertz. They may have to only take 30 hertz. Uh, so look at that. Um, you know, Check your frame rate and uh, the format of the video you're trying to feed it. Because if it's not the exact correct aspect ratio, a lot of times the scalar that's built into those smaller monitors can't handle anything other than standard Rec. 709, uh, you know, 1024 by 768 or 1920 by 1080. You know, the standard uh, monitor display resolutions for HD and full HD.
0: Next question.
1: Next question from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. The romance between Chief's tight end, Jason Kelsey, and world's biggest pop star, Taylor Swift, represents an alliance with the only cultural force in America bigger than the league itself. And New Yorker article to follow. Go ahead, You know, it's interesting. The uh, It seems like the Taylor Swift fandom has, it's almost like it's become sentient and it's its own organism outside of their control. When... I got up in the morning on Thursday, and I was having breakfast in the hotel. And I'm watching the TV. They were still talking about the fact that Taylor Swift attended an NFL game. Uh, the NFL changed its banner on Twitter temporarily to not about not be about football, but to be about Taylor Swift. It's it's kind of it's kind of incredible to just to, to watch it. There was another there was another tweet where she was eating, I think, chicken nuggets with ketchup. And what could have been mayonnaise, but the person wrote the article that said it's ketchup and seemingly ranch. And then Heinz followed up with a tweet of a mocked up bottle of ketchup and seemingly ranch. And you're just like, are you kidding? Then the Empire State Building apparently lit the top of the Empire State Building red and white. And then they tweeted ketchup and seemingly ranch. And you're just, it's its own organism. It's crazy.
0: The we we talked about this a little earlier, farming versus hunting and gathering. One thing that some artists are really good at, and Taylor Swift happens to be exceptional at, is um, is building that fandom. You know, and and the thing is, is that it it's it's something that you you've that you know I've, I I um, have done shows you know, that included Taylor Swift, and it is it is a um, uh, it's a whole different thing. But the her focus on her fans, and you know, um, and really how she interacts with them over the last, it's not been the last year or when she needed them, but over the last decade is what's made, I think what's really built this, you know, and the fact that she doesn't come across as perfect or anything else. She's, you know, she is who she is. And I think that, I think she's, she's done a really good job of of having people. We had a, uh, um, we had a a, a babysitter who, uh, was you know she's a swifty and she basically babysits just to get money to go to Taylor Swift shows <laughs> and so and um and it, you could tell that there was this this thing about there's an identity connected to doing that there's a lot of other people just fans but there's identity there that that is really interesting but it it's um i think it's really culturally it's really interesting of how she's really built that up um over many years of of diligent and constant work it's not something that she does every once in a while or right when an album gets released it's something she's doing all the time yeah good courtney yeah what really amazes me about this question is that um uh,
2: Paul Wallace, is, who is a few years older than I am, has his finger on the pulse of pop culture. I'm proud of you, Paul. <laughs> okay. Oh uh, yeah, go on, TJ.
1: And the other thing I'll say, and I found the uh, I found Twitter's or uh, the NFL's Twitter banner that they changed here, uh, which I thought was kind of funny. But the other thing that I'll just kind of comment on is. The, the fandom has become such a juggernaut for eyeballs on the Internet that it's almost like every social media office around the country had a meeting and said, if you can tangentially relate to Taylor Swift's next door neighbor's brother's cousin, like relate to it because it's going to it's going to attract X amount of eyeballs. Like it's it's almost it's almost a currency at this point where like you're going to have a multiplying factor of this X if you can somehow relate to Taylor Swift and it's crazy. Next question. Next question from Douglas Carmichael, what would you think of an ELISA studio second hour or lab?
0: Yeah. I love that. We'll we'll see if we can bring him on. Uh, Next question.
1: From Tony Mobley in Noonan, Georgia, I have tried to reconfigure my setup and have run into a lot of problems because of limited space. Has anyone used the portrait mode to save space?
0: <laughs> so so I, I think sixteen by nine is good. I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't use port, portrait mode to save space on what's behind me. Go ahead, uh, CJ. The
1: the other. Th- uh, did, did, I'm wondering if he means portrait mode, like turning a monitor so that it is rotated ninety degrees. Because for instance, one thing I do on my desk when I'm working on uh, large databases or spreadsheets, I like to use a monitor that's long so I can see more rows. And then when I'm not using it. For spreadsheets, it's almost like it's two smaller monitors uh, stacked on top of one another. So maybe it's something about monitor setups.
0: Yeah, the um, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, let us know more in more detail, Tony. We'll, we'll keep on digging into that. But we'd love to help you. I don't. I wouldn't. If you're shoot, talking about shooting in portrait mode, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. Um, next question from paul
1: wallace in austin texas subscriber growth has stalled at master class events prompting them to slash their headcount and focus on shorter courses with fewer a-list celebrity instructors
0: what speaking style would lead to master class success it, it, they put an enormous amount of effort into what they've done um, up until now they used to sh- they were shooting some of these in the building that we're in and it it's incredible, <laughs> like, like just you know like it it's you know when you think of those master classes, you know we think about doing training with three people these are These are full set most of the mo- those master classes are done in full sets that they built inside of a sound stage. The crew is probably forty, fifty people. Um, it is an in- intense, intense um, uh, training that has been great and it set a upper bar of what that could be but i will say that that i've often thought there's a lot of people with great knowledge in these areas that that you know we could probably do this with a little less money than, than what they're doing. Um, and so I think that there is, um, I think that there is definitely some opportunities for them and more flexibility. I think that what they've gotten really good at is building this brand and building a pipeline of how to do these things. I think that shorter courses would make sense. I don't know if I've watched an entire course from masterclass. Um, I have I'm a subscriber of masterclass and we just finished watching or my my wife finished watching. I've watched pieces of the Alice Waters one on and uh, it's been really good. It's really good. And there's lots of good pieces of that, of this puzzle. Um, so I, I would say that I I applaud that. I think that that was probably what needed to happen next. You can't keep on producing stuff at this level, you know, unless you really keep, you know, growing at an incredible pace. And I, I think they've probably hit the, the most, the people that want to do it. Um, as a production, as something to aspire to, I guess what I would say is that I would, um, I think that, And yeah, you can. If someone wants to cut to what CJ's showing, it'd be great too, Um, just to show that I can talk under under it. The um, but um, if uh, as a um, uh, you know, as a production person, I look at it all the time and think about you know how how they do that production. But I know after seeing some of the behind the scenes that it is not trivial to to shoot the kind of stuff that they're shooting. I mean, this is the this is the definitely the apex of um production quality, you know, in this in this process. And um just really well, it's good to learn from, but to also understand that it 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 takes a lot. You may think that this is just someone a handful of cameras, you know, and a little team of five. It's not. It's 45, 50 people in a sound stage, you know, with, you know, steady cams and jibs and, you know, all kinds of other things. And it's, you know, planned over months and and developed. And and so I think that they do have to find a, a wider um, delivery method. And and I think that, again, if they can, com- you know, one thing that, that we, they, ha- they, they did prove over COVID is they're really bad at live. <laughs> so it's like they're really bad. Like they're really good at shooting all these things. As soon as you go down to one camera, that just drops off into the, into the, into the abyss. And so I think that combining, you know, and this is what I've always thought, and we're going to start experimenting more with this on what we're doing, but combining what they're doing, which is incredible. And then discussions like what we do, I think is the future of education, you know, is, is a little bit of both of those things is really powerful. Go ahead, Guy.
4: Yeah. I was curious as well as to what a spreadsheet would look like with the breakdown, because I heard that there was upwards of 50% to the talent. So if they're giving away that kind of there, there's nothing left if they're doing 30, 40, 50 person shoots at that level with, you know, big area cameras and multiples of them, plus great sets, great locations and building the sets. It's, it's a, it's a, a big production. Uh, As far as styles, uh, I tried to join their affiliate program a few years back and they're like, no, you need to be like a a big, big website. So I think that they need more people like that. They need to lessen that bar so that affiliates can make some money too to bring bring in their people. And then also, uh, as far as content, there's a lot of different uh, people that are having success selling these courses that are upwards of $2,000 using internet marketing type courses that if they were to throw some of those in there that were just really expensive ones, but then go for volume uh, along with that affiliate program. I mean, it's working for people. There's this guy, Frank Kern. There's some of these people out there that have these Shailene Johnson, uh, they, Tony Robbins. They have these high, you know, really expensive uh, pieces of content that if those were in there, uh, I'd be glad to pay my 300 bucks. A, I mean, I'm a subscriber. So it's, I think it was 300 bucks a year if I remember right. Good, Courtney.
2: Yeah, you gotta remember the people that are in front of the camera are top-notch people in their field, and especially if you're doing these uh, uh, master classes on production, you know you're not gonna want to have uh, be paying you know Scorsese uh, a big big paycheck, and then have somebody directing who's just out of film school. So they, you want to hire a top-notch director to direct them, because you know a lot of these you know people that are top of their field don't necessarily want to have a cinematographer that's just out of film school or something so you're paying for quality film crew to shoot that stuff uh to maintain your your
0: level of professionalism just on the set you know yeah i mean i mean we, for a lot of the stuff that we've done i mean again i ha- we've done a couple that have been close to some of these things and and they're definitely not film students that are doing them so but they're still at a fraction of the cost i mean we had a bit, you know, um, someone with a pretty long, our, our DPs were pretty long list on IMDB. <laughs> so, so the, so you can, you can build, there's a big gap there. Um, but it, it is an enormous amount of infrastructure to, to make these work between like the kind of shows we were doing were 50, $60,000 and the kind of shows that they're doing are, my guess is half a million is probably half a million to a million dollars is what they're spending on these, on these, um, pieces. Go ahead, CJ.
1: I've done two or three of these that were the uh, the more hands-on with uh, cooking, and I found that those are really, really nice. The other thing that's nice about the cooking ones is they actually come with a PDF booklet that goes along with it that says, hey, before you start this class, go to the grocery store, buy these ingredients. Um, that was the, the Gordon Ramsay one. But then I also was watching some on storytelling and film scoring and business leadership. And it's, I mean, you just look at these frames. Yeah. These still frames, and you're like, "Wow!"
0: I mean, and they're, they're start really taking it. Their- the, I will say the early ones. They they had um, David Mamet and a couple other ones that, that were some of the very first ones that came out. Because I've been tracking them since they turned on. Because it was like, this is what I've been dreaming of doing: is training it really high levels and everything else. So I so I looked at it, and and uh, it was it was kind of like. We're going to pay David Mamet a lot to just sit there and talk, and then we'll cut it into something that tries to make sense of all of that. But it wasn't. It was. It didn't feel as, as organized as you would think it would feel. But again, I don't think it necessarily has to be this organized. So, for instance, a good a good example is. Um, oh, I can't. I can never get the order right. But it's flour, salt, uh, water, yeast. There's a there's a book. And salt the, fat acid heat, no, no, that's a different one, different book, sorry, sorry, <laughs> so there's a yeah, so that's a, that's about cooking in general. um I have that book as well, um but i but the- it's the flour, salt, water, yeast, or whatever is about making bread and what it was it's a great it's my it's how I learned to make bread and um and the what's interesting is is that well reading the book was very hard to understand exactly what Yeah, you can cut to that um you know the reading was a was trying to understand exactly what it was, but the person who wrote it, if you go to YouTube, you're going to find, if you just do a search for the um, flour, water, salt, yeast, uh, he has some videos that take the recipes that are from there and just shows you how to do them. It's a single camera, one or two cameras kind of walks you through the technique and he, um, and he, and he, and that's a, you know, really, really great. It suddenly everything made sense to me. And I, I was like ready to make bread, you know, and then I made hundreds of loaves of bread to figure out how to make bread. It was very silly. Anyway, the, um, uh, the other one, because I'm, we're talking about bread here is, um, this one is a great example of uh, good quality that doesn't, this is, um, Barrio, uh, the Barrio lesson, breadlessons.com. And, um, and what, what I want to show here is he did this for much less than off, than, um, then Masterclass, and I'll argue that I learned as much from these courses around bread than I did from the bread ones in Masterclass. Even though it didn't look as pretty, it was very acceptable. Um, and um, and so I know we're all digging into bread, and everyone's getting hungry. I know I'm getting hungry just watching these these videos. And so, um, but here's yeah. If you cut to CJ's, there again, we're gonna get we have time here on Saturday. But um, though this is just a very simple one that was done you know well, and and you get a sense of the author, and then you feel more of the book. And I think that more authors, especially ones that are doing how to, should really do more of that. Now I I have a dream of going up and reshooting those with him, you know, with three cameras and great lighting and everything else. And it would be a bunch of us volunteer. During some time and maybe have a little bit of expenses and I still think that we would do something that again there's this level of what's good enough to make this actually useful for the for the viewer I completely agree if you have a martin Scorsese if you have someone else you're gonna have to knock it all the way out but I do think that there's a lot of opportunity um you know I I get a I'm part of a CSA you know they You pay a farm directly and then they give you stuff every week of whatever is available. And um, I feel like they should be doing their own videos, you know, streams of all the to all their customers like, hey, you just got eggplant. Here's how to cook it. Here's what you should do with that. And so those are the kind of things I think could be done. So I think that we're going to see an explosion. And I think that Masterclass has there's a lot of room between college students and and what they're shooting right now that could be useful. Next question.
1: Next question from Douglas Carmichael: What cost-effective studio desks furniture do you prefer? I'm looking for something less than a thousand U.S.
0: Uh, wood shop. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. I'm about to rebuild my my uh, table here, and I'm gonna um, probably use a mixture of. I've decided to use either speed rail or even just plumbing. I kind of like the plumbing look, so I may, but I'm looking at using like some basic plumbing there so that all the ma- major infrastructure is all metal, and then I'm going to build the stuff on there's a wood shop. The, the library in, near my, in my town has a wood shop. How many libraries have a wood shop? All libraries should have a wood shop. Um, and so I'm going to go build, a, build some tabletops for that. Uh, next question. From Paul Wallace in
1: Austin, Texas, I just bought a Hyundai Ionic 5 even though I live in the shadow of the Tesla Austin Gigafactory because I love the paddles that let you control regenerative braking. Any thoughts on Tesla versus the Ionic 5 regenerative braking and interface in general?
0: Good, John. Paul, 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 the Tesla Optimus robot is coming to your house to smush your little iconic 5. Be careful. (laughs) Next question.
1: From Douglas Carmichael, CJ, what is that toolbar on the bottom of your desktop? Uh, Okay, so I am not a Mac uh, immigrant, I'm a Mac native, but I was in a uh, Zoom meeting with a a consultant that we use, and she had this thing called Ubar on the bottom. And essentially it is an emulation of the Windows taskbar, let me cut to that. It is an emulation of the Windows taskbar Uh, for the Mac. So if you go down here, sorry, I don't mind things. So if you're zoomed in down here, you'll get a a little U-bar where I can click on all of my different windows. If I hover, uh, apparently it's not working, Sonomi there. If you hover, it'll say uh, the windows that are open and allow you to switch to them. The other thing I like is that in the bottom right, it shows you a a quick little calendar. So just one more thing to go, but U-bar, U-B-A-R, and it is on setup. Next question. Next question from Ike Poder in Hanover, Germany. I downloaded many YouTube video files, MP4, all resolutions during the year. Playing them using browsers, Firefox, Chrome works fine. But with VLC player, there is some sort of heavy motion blur. What am I doing wrong? Missing codecs? VLC settings?
0: I don't know why you would have... I I play stuff back in VLC and I see that all... I never see that. Um, The... uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Go ahead, Guy.
4: Yeah, I'm curious as to how he downloaded them. I think the popular one in this group has been Downey, if you're on, on the Mac, to suck things down. And I haven't had any problems like that. I'm wondering what, uh, what he was using to pull them down. If There was some different codec, if it was one of these free or kind of strange uh, apps that you can use to pull YouTube videos down, that it started in something that's uh, maybe older. Downey
0: is so great. Just in case you're wondering, like Downey is the... I use it every day. <laughs> like, oh, I need that for some demo or I need this for whatever. And you just throw the URL in and it just down downloads the highest resolution that's available. Go ahead, CJ.
1: I was just going to throw in a similar comment. I think one of the single best features of Downey is that if I like somebody's channel and I know that I either want to put it into Plex or I'm about to go on a trip, if you copy and paste the, the root channel URL into Downey... It will queue up and download everything that they've ever done what it's crazy i mean i'm talking like i had one where there were i had 1500 concurrent downloads at some point and now my synology is mad at me but yeah what
0: oh my gosh okay next question
1: from jeff cohen in miami beach florida how does fairlight compare to atmos capabilities in logic
0: um, it's got a lot more. <laughs> so, so, Fairlight's got a lot more. Uh, a, a lot more there. I, I'll say that the the Atmos, uh, um, the interface is just a little clunkier than 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 Logic. And so, and I have to admit, for me, I, I'm looking at doing some stuff in Fairlight as well. Um, the, those are the only two apps that I plan to learn how to use: is Fairlight, Fairlight, and and Logic. So, yeah. Uh, next question
1: from Douglas Carmichael, if you install Ubar, how do you disable the native macOS dock? All right, so this is another Ubar question, so I'm going to cut back to my Mac here. I don't actually disable the dock, I just put it over to the far left cuz I find that I st- and hide it cuz I find that I still like to go there sometimes. Although the one thing that you can do within Ubar is there's an advanced menu that allows you to turn on dockless mode which somehow disables the dock uh, at the system level,
0: and then it'll, and then it'll, that's a terminal command.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it'll turn, it'll, it'll do it in the terminal, it'll kill all your, your uh, dock preferences, the screen will flash, and then that one is a little scary for me, but uh, it works. But like I said, a pretty fully featured, well done application. I'm a huge fan.
0: CJ, great work. It's good to have you here. Your first the first uh, day, on, you did great. So um, uh, both yeah. as a reader and as a could panelist. could be better, really
1: but uh, exciting.
0: Really, really great to have you. Thank so, you. Um, welcome, to the, welcome to the crew. We hope you come off. Of, so I, I know it's probably going to be weekends or whatever, but uh, any days you can make it, we'd love to have you.
1: I'm definitely trying to uh, uh, chime in on Mondays too uh, with the business folks. So I'm, I'm doing back to back to back. I'm today, tomorrow, and Monday.
0: That's perfect. Awesome. It's really, really great to have you. Um, and great to have the rest of the panelists here. We can't do this without you. Thanks to the uh, to our producers for all the great questions. We also can't do this without you. And we also can't do it without the incredible tech crew on the back end that's developing all the software that makes this all work, um, that also is um, you know, uh, managing and figuring out what we're going to do every day. And then finally, um, they are um, actually running the show and cutting the show. This is not done in, as you may have guessed, not done in normal Zoom. I think we did pretty good, and uh, we had some pretty good, a pretty good time with the HDR stuff um, today. Uh, the uh, we 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 th- we're we're going to add individual color control. For next week, so we should be able to watch. You know, you'll see us playing with not just everyone or the whole program, but each person to see what's the best settings for them. So um, that'll be our our next step there. So stay tuned for that. Um, we traveled. Um, I we traveled seventy seven thousand miles today. That's one hundred twenty four thousand kilometers, and that is six hundred thirteen million bananas for scale. All right, let's go ahead and jump into after hours. That was a lot of things to think about all oh, at one time, sitting there playing with the color correction while we're doing the answers and while we're doing the thing and then we're doing the thing. So there was one point where a guy went totally white because I wasn't sure. I was like, am I making any difference here or not? So I just went, and then I pulled back was for Was there second.
4: a link to that HDR feed did I miss it? It's
0: the only feed. Like if you go to it, it's it, oh, so on that? Saturday. It is the feed. Yeah, oh. so... Yeah, there's no, there's no other feed. It was, we were doing tests and I was like, I'm never going to get through this if I don't just start doing it. So Saturdays are the HDR, they're only you HDR. Clear. And um, and then uh, hopefully by the end of the, I, I think it might actually happen by the end of October, but uh, by the end of the year, we'll be, a, the whole system will be all 4K HDR. Mm-hmm. We're, we're finding some glitches in the encoder too. So we'll see how that goes.